I don't need to introduce Greg Mortensen because fortunately a lot of people know about you and your work. Your book, Three Cups of Tea, about founding schools in Pakistan. So for me, I wanted to ask you, what is the connection between being a mountain climber and creating schools in Pakistan? Well, I've been... It was... The mountains first brought me to Pakistan and, uh, in 1993. I went to climb K2 to honor my sister Krista, who died from epilepsy. But since then, I didn't quite make it to the top of K2, so I've found that my real calling is not in climbing mountains but helping kids. So I've been working for 17 years in rural Pakistan, Afghanistan. I'm especially uh, keen, or I feel that it's imperative that not only boys but the girls have the opportunity and the right to, to go to school and uh, realize their dreams. What's the most touching story that you've heard about a girl getting an education? Well, there's so many stories. Um, a young woman named Fozia, who has just uh, two years ago, she graduated and became the first female attorney out of four million people in Azad, Kashmir, Pakistan. First, you say, home edu or locally educated girl. Um, there's a woman named Shakila, first female physician out of 1.2 million people in Baltistan in northern Pakistan. Perhaps one of the most amazing stories is a young woman, um, Aziza, who was the first girl in Charpusan Valley, which is in northeast, sorry, northwest Pakistan, up in the tribal areas. She lives on the Afghan-Pakistan border. Um, she became the first young woman out of 4,000 people to get an education. And it was very difficult for her. Wow. The boys would throw stones at her. Her teachers didn't want to teach her because she was female, but she did graduate. And in 1998, 12 years ago, she went to two years of maternal health care training. She learned how to deliver babies and do pre- and postnatal care. And it uh, cost $800. And she came back to her valley 10 years ago in 2000. And before Aziza started working in her valley as a maternal health care worker, you know, there's no medicine there, no doctor, no clinic, no nothing. Every year, 5 to 20 women died in childbirth. And um, today... In, since Aziza has been back there in the last 10 years, not one single woman has died in childbirth. And her pay is about $1.50 per day. And it just shows you what one woman, brave woman with an education can do. You know, that's, that's probably 50 to 200 women have not died in the last decade because of one woman, Aziza. So that's that to me is a very amazing testament of what education can do. What is your uh, opinion on why women accept the domination of the patriarchy? Uh, well, um, you know, I've seen some tribes, like uh, one is Kalash in northwest Pakistan, um, in some of the Humla area in western Nepal, where you have matriarchal society, and then you just go another valley and it's completely flipped into a patriarchal society and I think um, part of it 
has to do with um, that women, well, you know, it often like in Afghanistan or Pakistan, in public, women seem very oppressed, and they certainly are. And they're they they're demure and they're covered, and they seem very. But when you go into the household, often, especially now that I've been able to uh, go into more personal, you know, places of the house and talk to them, I often find that the women are very much in charge in the house. Um, they make the decision making, the allocation of resources. But in order to uh, you know, get them beyond the patriarchal society. I do think, I think education is is a key, especially in today's society. One example is very simple, but you'll see people come home from the bazaar or marketplace, and they have vegetables wrapped in newspaper. But then you'll see the woman very carefully unfold the newspaper and ask her daughter to read the news to her. I mean, she cares about the vegetable, but really, <laughs> she wants to know the news. And when a woman can, and this is where there's no television or all this, you know, other stuff, radio. So when a woman can read the news, she understands that there's there's uh, exploitation women in the outside world. She understands about more about politics. She understands more about what's going on in the world around. And she has a very keen interest to be uh, involved in that. And education is, I mean, it's twofold. One is, it is a buffer. Um, often indigenous societies who are at the fringe of society, they're often exploited, but they're kept illiterate so that um, people can exploit their resources or exploit people. It also, to me, is a bridge. Um, and so a lot of people worry about when girls get educated or men, they often leave their communities, they go to their cities, and that's very true. Um, but only a third of men generally come back, but two-thirds of women tend to come back. And But they also become advocates for their society. And the one thing that I think, though, is you know, education can also be detrimental in that literacy, it sometimes eradicates the storytelling tradition. Um, and in all societies, and if you look back in indigenous societies, um, there's a very powerful tradition of the elders, second generation passing of their heritage, folklore, their traditions, their culture. This goes on second generation. And so one of the things we do in our schools that is not done much in the U.S. or West is to have the elders come into the schools and do the storytelling so that when education comes into a society, they don't lose that beautiful tradition of about their heritage and folklore and culture. And um, It's something in the U.S. we're encouraging now, too. I've, I've asked students all around the country from first grade through graduate school, how many of you have spent more than 10 hours with your elders to talk about the Depression or the Vietnam War or Civil Rights Movement, the average is 5%. And in Afghanistan, Pakistan, it's 90 to 100%. So I, I do think we can learn from them, that we can tap into the wisdom and the guidance of our elders. This is wonderful, the dignity of being an elder. I think it's, it's so important and so precious. And I've been in even... Um, Eastern Europe and Asia and Africa, those societies still they very much value the elders, and it's a it's kind of a tragedy here in in the West. We we often marginalize them, we put them away, and 
retirement centers or we we don't we don't know you listen to them. Lives. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people are afraid of getting old. I think yes old well, elders are beautiful and they, they have and and also nothing we face today in the world cannot be overcome or and we've we are not facing anything today that we haven't got through in the past if you look at history back you know hundreds or thousands of years so but the elders are the ones I think who have some of the answers we we do all these we have conferences and we have meetings and debates and think tanks and every how are we going to solve this problem but actually I think we could tap the elders and that's how they do it in rural Africa or Afghanistan or Pakistan they call the elders in and see what they think and they're often there they have solutions elders and children thank yeah. you so oh, much thank you. Greg Thanks. appreciate your time thank you Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making a tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.